Hey, we're glad that you're here today. We are glad that we've gathered together to worship. There is a lot going on, as you can tell. Um, Isaac is here. Our children's ministry is stepping up. There just seems to be a lot of energy and momentum as we are moving into the fall. College students are moving in. College students are moving out. Um, going off to college, coming into college. Our students are headed off to uh, public school this week, and maybe some of them have already been in school this week. It just There's just a lot going on. It's getting kind of crazy. Um, this is one of those times where it's like you just want to stay away from the bypass as much as you can. Um, you know, my wife and I, we take the other way home now. We go down Duncanon, and because the, this is choked up with college students, it's like you got to be kidding me. It's like now it only takes me like an hour to get home, and where it normally takes me 11 minutes, it's like we just can't do that anymore. Um, college students, two words for you: carpool. Okay, I just want to encourage you in that. You know, you go off to college and you're not sure how the town works just yet. Carpool. You know, town works a whole lot better when that's going on. But want to encourage you in that. I love seeing uh, the little children um, doing their thing as well. Um, do me a favor and throw that slide up at the end. Um, I totally blew past that. But I love seeing the pictures that you have of your little children. I, I absolutely do. It's the first day of school. It's the first day of kindergarten. It's the first day of preschool. You know, the moms are dressing their little children up and they're taking their picture by the door. And, you know, and now it's their first day of, you know, uh, high school and they're dressed almost in the same exact outfit they were 12 years ago, holding the same thing. You know, you moms are trying to do all Pinteresty creative stuff and it's great. But, you know, there, there comes a time when it's okay, that's enough now. And I'm not saying we shouldn't see your little children first day of school but you know the first day of pre-k is cute first day of you know kindergarten is way cute first day of college okay we're done with that now okay for the first day that they've been married we don't need to see it we don't care okay but you know you gotta sooner or later you know rein that in a little bit but but we love seeing that but you all know that mom is like, oh, I just I can't stand to see my little children go off to school. It's like, when I say, you know, it's the first day of school or you're sending your children out into the world, I mean, kind of what comes to mind? Are you looking at, uh, hey, what comes to mind is, I, I, I've raised these children for four years and now I'm, I'm just turning them over to the devil. You know, it's like, oh my word, we've all seen what's so dark and everything out there. And it's like, yike, what's going on? You know, what, what, what's the deal? Well, for my wife and I, we raised our five children, and it was just like, you know what? We want them out there in the world. We, we raised them to be lights in the world. We, we raised them to say, okay, now you're you know, 18, move on, go to college, do your thing, move out of the house. Uh, we want some time alone again. It's like, this will be good. But we intentionally want to sow our kids out into the world, and that's very important. I raised my children to take over the world. That's kind of what we have a mindset of. But, I mean, for the kingdom of God. But it's like, man, go out there and make the biggest impact, the biggest difference on behalf of the kingdom that you, you possibly can. So I just, I mean, I don't get these parents that are like, oh, my child's going off to college. I'll never see him again. Parents, you will see them again. You will see them at Thanksgiving. You will see them on the weekend. You will see them when they run out of money. You will see them when they need a gas card. You will see They will come back, I promise you. Take a deep breath, and it's going to be all right. There's a man in the Bible that it appears was getting ready to send his son out into the world, or he was recognizing that his son had, had hit um, you know, manhood, and, and he's got some things that he wants to share with his son. And this, this, uh, this man's name is Solomon. He's a known as the wisest king ever to exist on the planet and the wealthiest king, the wealthiest man ever 
to exist on the planet. And in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and reading through the 30th chapter, no, we won't read through 30 chapters, I promise, but just reading through the next couple of verses, I want to share with you what Solomon had to say to his son, who was basically of age, maybe taking over the kingship, I'm not sure, but Solomon wanted to share some things with his son. He wanted to set his son up, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Are we setting our children up to win, or are we setting our children up to fail? Because we're setting them up, and we get to decide. In Proverbs chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, the scripture says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And look what he says, these, these sayings, because that's what it means. Proverbs means wise sayings. Look at what he says these sayings are for. What are, what, are the, what are Proverbs for? For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't forsake your mother's teachings. It says right here, it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Does that describe you by any chance? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, with all sincerity, and since you're not answering out loud, you can actually be honest. Does, does the statement, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, does that apply to you? What he's talking about is people that see the word, read the word, understand the word, and then ignore the word and set it aside. Or are you the kind of person that says, this is the word of God, this is how I should change my life to live this way. See, that's what Solomon's talking about. He's trying to set his son up to win. Solomon wants his son to win, and that's his whole goal. Now, this is Solomon, again, wisest uh, king to ever live. In 1 Kings, I think it's in uh, chapter 4, it, it says that, that he had come up with or made up 3,000, over 3,000 proverbs. 3,000 sayings that he came up with, and then he, he put them between a couple of pages and said, this is the addition I want my son to have. This is the one I want you to be able to read. And I want you to understand, a proverb is a wise saying. Okay, A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush is a wise saying. What it means is be thankful for what you have instead of wishing for something you don't have because this will feed you and that will not. See, it's a wise saying. And so we recognize as we read the scriptures, these are not abject promises that you're guaranteed to. You, you can't always take a proverb and say, this is, I mean, God put it there. Please don't hear me saying it's not the word of God. I'm just saying that there are some things in there you have to keep in context. The scripture says about Judas, straightway he went out and hung himself. That does not mean God wants us to go all go out and hang ourselves. See, we put it in context and we understand it. And we wrestle with it and we deal with it. And Solomon is trying to get his son set up to win. He says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Who can come to you and say to you, hey, let me just challenge you in something here. Um, because the Bible says this and you claim to you know, walk with Christ. And I don't mean they're threatening you. I'm just saying, hey, I've been going to church with you for a while, but 
but, but man, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't jive. This doesn't work, you know, living like this, but saying this. See? Who can do that in your life? Who can challenge you and, and build you up and encourage you and, and help you see, oh man, I, I, you're right, I need, to, I need to deal with that. That's what Solomon's sayings are for. He wants us to be able to be challenged by them. So, as parents, we set our children up either to despise the way of the Lord or we set them up to follow the way of the Lord. And we want to talk about this. Are we setting our children up to fall into the very destructive behaviors that we want them to avoid, or are we positioning them to win? Now, when I think positioning, I think pole position, right? You know what pole position is? You know what that is? That's actually a, a, a horse racing term. What it means is you put all the horses in a row and the horse on the inside of the track next to the rail, next to the pole, has the pole position. The pole position is the position that sets that horse up to win. It gives him an advantage, not an absolute, but a significant advantage over all the other horses in the race. It does. That's why everybody wants the pole position. Everybody wants to be starting right there. Okay? Because until they learned to, to do that staggered start, that guy really had the advantage. Okay, so it was about horses. Like, we're going to have a race here. We're going to go yonder down around the barn over there by Miller's, cross the creek. We're going to go over to Kaufman's. We're going to head up around behind the house. We're going to come. You know, they would have a horse race. And, and, and the guy with the pole position, he's the one that's going to win. There's another place that you see that too, and that's in NASCAR. You know, you take NASCAR and you set all those cars and you set all those cars and set all those cars and set all those cars. The pole position or pole sitting is what it's referred to in NASCAR is front row all the way to the side, up against the rail. You're at the pole. The good chance you're going to win. You know that over 40% of the winners of Formula One racing come from the pole position. It's an obvious advantage. Everybody is already behind you when you start out. That's what we want to do with our children. We want to give them the pole position in life. We are running a race. Paul says you and I are running a race. And as we run this race, we want to show our kids and we want our kids to have the pole position because there is a world out there, there is a very real devil out there that wants to destroy your children's lives. And we want to give our children every advantage we can. We want to set them up the win. The book of Hebrews, Paul says uh, in chapter 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of the people that have gone before us, all the Abrahams, the Moseses, the Jephthahs, the Gideons, the, all of the people that chased after God, that we've watched faithfully serve God and then heard the stories of how they died chasing after God, he says those are the people we're surrounded by. Those testimonies inspire us to stay at it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, all the stuff that we've collected that's not sinful, but it's dragging us down and taking us away from the race, and the sin that ties us up and easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorned the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen, Consider him who endured this opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
We are putting our college students in universities and in colleges. We are putting our children in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools and preschools. We're putting our children out there, and we want our children to be the kind of children that can stay at it, that can persevere, that can endure everything that's going to come at them. And man, we are going to have to have a plan. We are honestly going to have to have a plan. If you are a college student in here and you are starting this year of college or maybe you're starting college, you are going to need a plan if you are going to win. If you are going to be faithful for God through the next year, two years, three years, or four years of your life and come out the other side as a shining example of chasing after God, man, you need a plan. We have to. We have to have a plan. Because you and I, we are setting our children up, and I want to set my children up to win. So how are we going to set our children up to win? How are you going to be set up to win? First thing is, we have to position ourselves to win. You ever think about that? You're not, your children are not going to win if you are not positioned to win without some serious outside intervention somewhere in their lives. If our children are going to win, it's going to be because we are positioned to win and therefore we position them to win. Where do you want to see your kids if you've got kids in four or five years? Where do you want to see them? What would you like to see them excelling at? What would you like to see going on in their lives? Because when we say you have to position yourself to win, you've got to ask yourself, am I living a healthy lifestyle? Is that what I'm doing? In the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, the scripture says, The righteous lead blameless lives, and blessed are their children after them. It doesn't say the perfect lead uh, that life. It doesn't say the sinless lead that life. It says the righteous lead that life. The word righteous means that I have a right standing with God. That I am in a right relationship with God. That I am pursuing Jesus. I have surrendered my life to Him. I have been baptized. And I am trying to live a life that glorifies God. I'm not trying to make sure I cross every I and dot every T. I understand that I'm going to struggle through life. But I understand that God wants me to get back up when I fail or when I sin. So I get back up when I fail or when I sin. Are you positioning yourself to win. You know, when you deal with the airline industry, that's one of the first things that they want to deal with you with on an airplane. They want to deal with you and tell you that, 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 that we want you to position yourself to win. Have you, have you ever flown? Everybody in here flown? Yeah? Used to be you'd say, hey, have you flown? And nobody raised their hand because it used to be prestigious. Now it's like getting on a giant chicken bus. You know, you just get on there and throw your luggage everywhere and, you know, you got a seat and it's already full. You can't put anything up there because people think that on the way to the back of the plane they should just put their stuff up here and it's just like, it's like being on a bus. You know, it's not really cool. But they've got, they've got this thing that they do. When they close the door and then that little person gets up there and, and, and there, it's a flight attendant. Don't say stewardess, don't say steward, say flight attendant. And they get up there and they take that microphone and say, Welcome to United Flight 12345. We're going to, you know, Germany, and that's great. And then you have to decide if you're on the right airplane. All right, because that's a bad thing. Okay, but anyway, they do that all and they say, Hey, I want to talk to you before we get started. Okay? And they, they won't take off until you put your seatbelt on. But let's just be honest, as soon as that, that person stands up and goes, Hi, welcome, we all just clock out. 
You reach up there and you get the Sky Mall magazine out of the seat in front of you, don't you? And you just start flipping through. And you're like, hey, I need one of those. I don't have one of those. And you can buy stuff out of Sky Mall magazine for about 10 times what you can get the same stuff for at Walmart. You know? So it's Walmart, it costs $25, but in, in Sky Magazine, it costs 250 bucks. But you get to walk around going, I paid 250 bucks for this. And your buddy say, well, I only paid 25 at Walmart. You say, well, I got mine at Sky Mall. That's right. <laughs> While I was sitting on the airplane, that girl was talking, that, that person was talking, and I was ignoring them. That's right. I bought myself one of these, you know, dog teeth brush things that I'm never going to use. It's all great. But first they tell you to put your seatbelt on. What is with America in 2018? that they don't have a panel up front that says seat F1 has not put their seatbelt on yet. <laughs> Seriously, am, am I right? Because if I get in my truck and my wife gets in beside me and I buckle up and I fire that up and I put that thing in gear, you know what it does? Ding, 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 ding. And I look down and it says passenger seatbelt. And I look over and it's like, well, seatbelt. I can't get her to put a helmet on. Do you think I can get her to force her to put her seatbelt on? I just have to say, listen, we're not going anywhere until you click up, girl. Buckle it or ticket it. You know, that's, that's the thing in, 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 you know, Kentucky today. Click it or ticket. That's what we're doing, okay? And that's what I have to do. Why can't they do that? No, she's got to take it out and say, put this in, in this in till it clicks. And then when it clicks, grab this little flappy thingy, pull it real snug, and it'll go over. I just think that there should be something that just says, seat F1's not got their seatbelt on. She can say, F1, put your seatbelt on, and we're not taking off until you do. Everybody look at F1. And you know, everybody can just glare at F1 because we are in line waiting to taxi. It's like, come on, man. Why can't we do that? So there's that. And then the next thing, exit rows. Okay, it's kind of like Aladdin. Here, 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 and here. There we going, okay? And it's like, okay, I know where the exit row is. I just want to know who's in front of me that I need to run over in case of an emergency. Okay? I just need to know how fast I have to get out of my seat, one buckle and go. But there'll be lights. The lights will come on here and here. There are exits here and exits here. Okay? I, I get it. They're trying to set you up for the win. Okay? And after that, if you're sitting next to the door, they have to say, listen, if you're sitting next to the door and you feel incompetent and you are so weak and such a sissy that you cannot handle that door, we would like to put you in a different seat. Listen, I fly coach all the time. I've never flown first class in my life. To me, the door seat is first class. Okay, if I'm sitting in that seat, I don't care if I've got two casts on my leg and I'm 95 years old. I am not giving up the seat. I'll be like, girl, I can handle this door. Leave me alone. This is my chair. I'm staying here. I'm 6'2". I need to stretch. And they got them little seats, you know, in coach, and you just can't do it. And that's where I am. But it's this next thing that I think is most important. Because the last thing they talk about and the last thing they say is, in the event of emergency, oh, Lord, and everybody prays, Lord, please don't let there be an emergency. <laughs> okay? Everybody believes there's a God when something like that's going on. Oxygen mass will fall from the ceiling. And what does she say to do? Put the oxygen mask on yourself before you try to help somebody who's traveling with you. Position yourself for the win if you want a win for the person traveling with you. See? Even the airline industry understands that if you want to win with your children, you have to position yourself 
for the win. If you want your children to chase after Jesus, you have to position yourself to chase after Jesus. There is no bigger threat to Christianity in America today than legitimate hypocrites that, that say one thing and live a different. We were interacting with college students over the last couple of weeks that said, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, I want to get baptized, but I'm watching other college students do, me or do it around me, and they're just living like hypocrites. They live like this on Thursday night at the meetings, and then they're sleeping around and getting drunk and everything else on Friday and Saturday, and I don't want to live like that. See? Our kids learn from us. They learn from us. And when we begin to look at our lives and realize that either we're setting them up to win or we're setting them up to fail, it gets kind of sobering. And we've got to be willing to be honest and take stock. Matthew 22, Jesus replies, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all the law and the prophets hang on love your neighbor as yourself. That lets us know that one of the most important things to God is that you love yourself. And I don't mean narcissistically. I don't mean in an unhealthy, ego-driven manner. I mean that you love yourself. Do you even like you? I grew up in, a, in a, just a horrible upbringing, um, just in a bad situation, and I didn't even like me. I wasn't like, I wanted to be them, I wanted to be them, I wanted people to like me, but I didn't like me. I didn't love me. How am I going to know how to love a woman? How am I going to know how to love friends? How am I going to know how to love children if I can't love me? If every time I look in the mirror and I say, I don't like that person. I wish God would have done this with my life instead. I wish God would, and I'm talking about things that God did, not things that are a result or a consequence of what you did. I'm talking about the things in your life that you say, man, I wish God would have. How about if we start by saying, thank you, God, for the breath in my body. Thank you, God, I'm losing hair. It's getting thinner. Thank you, God, or this or that in my how about if we approach it and we begin to say you know what because i'm at the place right now where i'm like 57 years old okay in another month on october 4th um, um in about six o'clock in the afternoon that's my birthday if you want to write that in on your calendar but um the, you know i'm i'm at that place right now 57 years old that i really don't care if people like me anymore i grew up wanting to be loved wanting to be included wanting to be cared for and instead i was beat up and bullied and i was terrified at home in the house with my father absolutely lived in fear when i was there and then i got to the place where it's like sure we all want somebody to like us right we all want somebody to say come to the party come to my house let's go have a good time but there comes a time when we stop peacocking for people and we say you know what god loves me he died on the cross for me how about if i at least like me and I begin to say, you know what, I like, I'm not saying I can't like walk a few more miles, push back a few more apple pie. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying regardless, I like me. And this stays here when the trumpet blows anyway. You know? And so how about if I like me? If I'm going to position myself to win, I need to recognize that God loves me, so I should like me at least. And let's do that. Let's be saying that 
I'm going to expect respect from people. I think it's okay for us to stop and say, we're not going to settle for abuse. We're not going to settle for bullying. We're not going to settle for... It is okay for us to say, I like me enough that it's okay if I don't settle and I expect respect. There's nothing wrong with that in our lives anymore. It's time for us to kind of get back to that. So when we talk about the idea here of positioning ourselves, what's our takeaway? We, if we want our children to fail... If we want our children to fail, then live like a hypocrite. Come to church and say all the things, but when you get home, they are still watching you. Remember, they're wanting to see if what you do and what you say is for real because they want a good example. They want a role model. They want somebody to emulate. If we want them to win, then live the example that you want them to follow. What work ethic do you want them to follow? What hunger for Jesus do you want them to follow? What, what is that? What would you like to see take place there? If we want our children to win, if we want to put them in a pole position, the next thing is we have to let them struggle. Oh man, we, they have to struggle. They need to struggle. They need to embrace that struggle. James says in James 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It is important that we allow our children to struggle. The problem is our natural instinct is that we want to protect our children. Um, that, 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 that very instinct becomes part of the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm on, on social media and I'm seeing um, you know, moms post these memes. So I'm sending my kid back to school, but if somebody starts bullying my kid, I'm going to go on mama bear on them. I'm going you know, to do this. And they got like pictures of grizzly bears like eating cars and SUVs and things. And it's like, whatever, I've seen what a mother bear does. She's over there eating berries, and her child is up on the road. The little bear is up there, and people are honking at it, and the mother's over there like, whatever, I need a break. Like, when you say mama bear, I don't think, ah, I think, give me a rest from these children, please. But let's just be honest, we do want to protect our kids. But the problem is that that very instinct brings us to the place of not allowing them to struggle. And a lot of things are taught to you and I when we struggle. We learn a lot more. The problem that I continue to see over and over again is we're not willing to admit the truth. It's never my child's fault. Teachers in here, God bless you guys. <laughs> uh, your child, no, not my child. Not my child, teacher. No. I don't know who you are or what's been going on in your classroom, but not my child. My child comes home and tells me everything. No, they don't. I've still got children that are adult age having children telling me, you probably don't know this about us, but when you guys went on a date, we did this. No, I did not know that. I would have called the cops on you for that one. You know, it's like, come on. But it's never my child's fault, is it? My child doesn't instigate. They're not an instigator. My child isn't the bully. It's the other kids that are the bully. My child was the one that got led astray by the other children. It's the other children's fault. You know that that's a, that's a normal thing in, in pastor families? You know, pastor's kids have a, a horrible reputation. They just do. I'm just going to tell you they do. But I'm just going to tell you right now, it's the elder's kids that lead them astray that's a problem. 
It really is. I mean, somebody should do like a poll or something. Because my kids aren't the problem, the pastor's kids. It's those elders' kids that led them sideways, away from the truth. See, we're always wanting to blame somebody else and never letting our children struggle with consequences. In 25 years of, of, of ministry, and I want to say this as careful as I can, in 25 years of ministry, as of September 1st, next month, it'll be 25, that, uh, 7 o'clock this time in the morning, but 8 o'clock uh, Western time. But 25 years of, married, uh, of ministry, I've buried a lot of people. I have. Just in a healthy way. They do. But every once in a while, I have to do a, a funeral. And I have to do it for somebody that passed from this earth entirely too early. And in 25 years of ministry, I only buried one person that did not go to heaven and was not transformed somehow into an angel in the process. And just for the record, that's not what happens. You do not become angels when you leave this planet. Let's X that off our theology, please. Okay? I've only buried one, uh, buried one that did not go to heaven. This person was a prostitute. This person was a crack addict. This person was, and homeless is not a sin, okay? But everything had gone south for this person, and they lived that out. They didn't want nothing to do with church, didn't want anything to do with God, didn't want anything. And listen, God could have intervened in that last split second before they passed away. I get all that. And if you're already like, don't judge, lest you be not judged. Jesus also said a tree is known by its fruit. There are more scriptures in the New Testament that say make a judgment than that say don't make a judgment, okay? I'm not condemning this person to hell. I'm just telling you by all outward appearances this is what happened and now i have buried some wild nasty mean people that somebody will say oh god knew their heart it's so well, i'll see them one day again in heaven see it's we never want to be honest and if we're going to position then we have to struggle and we have to struggle with the truth we have to i mean i have seen adult children in prison dealing drugs and their parents will still be sending them money in prison to bail them out and saying it's not their fault it's like wow your children are going to do what you do not what you say so what you say and what you do if you want to position them for the win is going to have to be the same pain pain at the very least teaches us not to do that again it does. It's an important thing. Our children need to be allowed to suffer the consequences of their sins and their choices. Pain and suffering are the best teachers in the world. My high school years, I got through my high school years because I had an art teacher named the artist Macaulay. Mrs. Macaulay doesn't know this, except that I sent her a message a couple years ago when I was thinking about this kind of a thing. And, uh, and I told her, you know, I could run to the art class, hide from... Uh, you know, the, the school, you know, I, I didn't get bullied in there. I didn't get pushed around. Nobody made fun of me. I could hide in my paper. I could paint. I could draw. I could just exist here. She never had anything but words of affirmation for whatever I was doing um, in, in art. And, and it, was, it, it was just a great, she was a great, great teacher. She will not be as good a teacher as pain is and struggle is. It is very important that if we're going to position our children to win, that we allow them to struggle, take away. If we want our children to fail, never let them suffer the consequences for their choices. If we want them to win, give them leadership opportunities in the home, but let them fail and don't ridicule them. Show them how they could have won. Help them learn something. 
It's called falling or failing forward versus failing backwards. If you fail forward and you lose something, or you learn something, you gain wisdom. If you fail backwards and you get up and you do it again, you've learned nothing. Help our children succeed. Finally, don't give them everything you can. Make them earn it. Man, we raised our children with that. Our children came up, we told them the whole time they were growing up, right out of the womb, hey, first thing you need to understand is I'll never buy you a car. That's what we told them. You know, coming, hi, I'm your dad. I'm never going to buy you a car. It's not going to happen. I just need you to understand that. You're going to have to work. Hey, hey, welcome to the world. How you doing? This is your mom. This is the doctor. I am not paying for your college. You want to go to college? Then you had better pay attention to your grades because I'm not saving money and not living my life because you want to screw around and have a college experience until you get serious about what you want to learn in college. <laughs> Why should I pay for that? that is, listen, parents, I love you, but that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And yes, I just said that from up here. Okay? Let your children live wild for a year until they get their act together. Really? And then you pay for it? It's like, no, let them decide that they want to do that. that I mean, Jessie, you know, God bless her, she stood right up here and showed you she wanted a 2000 Supra, XL 500, whatever, and she had a 350 horse. She was saying things I've never heard of last week. She's sharing that sermon about that car in Fast and Furious. And it's like, wow, I didn't know that. And I couldn't have said all that. Instead, she got a 1990 Honda Accord EX. You know, took her about five minutes to get to 60 miles an hour. That thing couldn't go fast if you pushed it. It just wasn't going to happen. Guess what? She paid for it herself. Now, you can drive the family car if you want to. But don't come into my office and say, man, how come i got to drive the family car? Because I'm going to say, you don't. You are welcome to walk. <laughs> Call your friends and tell them to pick you up if I allow you to go. But listen to me. I am not going to give you everything. It's not going to happen. The book of Proverbs chapter 12 says, those who work the land will have abundance of food. Abundance of food. But those who chase fantasies, they have no sense. So you know what that says? If you want it, go out and earn it. Get a job. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, I mean, I was raised that way. I would have loved to have had things handed to me. Here, I saved up so you can have a college education. When people are handed things, they do not always respect the minutes of your life that went into making that. But when they've got skin in the game, suddenly it's a little more important, you know? Take mom and dad's family car, 1994, Ford Taurus, four-door, puke green, some sort of you know, like milk and magnesia green. We had that baby, and we let the children drive it back and forth to Madison Central. It's all good. That was their car until one of them piled into a 2003 Acura TL. Now, they don't compare in value. Um, we would not let our car, child drive that car, but they piled that in and pushed the bumper of that TL all the way up to the back window. And then it was like, hey, we need a new car. It's like, I don't need a new car. I'm driving the truck. Mama doesn't need a new car. You just wrecked the family car. You guys need to get together and buy a new car. You know, bless their mom. She let them use hers quite often. I'm like, find work. Um, <laughs> mow lawns. I'll take you to your job in a heartbeat. But I'm not giving you another car. The car didn't mean as much, but when they bought the car, it was like, hey, hey, those people are parked too close to my car. Hey, those people are looking at my car. Suddenly, it mattered. 
Because they didn't get everything and they worked for it. They earned it and they've got something to be proud of. When it represents time that they're never going to get back, it's incredibly meaningful. You know in China where they're limited to like one child and there's a lot of things there, I'm not going to talk about that, but where they're limited to one child, they have a, a, a psychological problem going on there that's referred to as little emperor syndrome. Because what happens is these parents are having one child, usually a boy, male, and so what they do is they give that child everything that it wants. And then what happens is that child thinks, grows up thinking that it really is the center of the world and that there's no reason it should not have whatever it wants. It's absolutely crazy. The problem is that that is kind of leaching over into America today. It's finally hitting these shores. It really is. But people are just, they just think that they're supposed to be given everything. I think one of the most powerful things that you can say to a child to set them up to win, write this down for future child rearing, okay? Those of you are like, well, this is kind of about children. No, it's about you too. It's okay. But your nieces, your nephews, your brothers, your sisters, listen, most powerful thing that you can say to set a child up to win is no. When they're like, hey, I need you to get me a cell phone. No. No, not going to happen. You want a cell phone? Get a job. Our children had cell phones. We put them on our plan when they could pay for it. See? And then we put them on direct draft from their checking account. We're not going to come to you and say, hey, you owe us 15 bucks today. Hey, you owe us 15 bucks. I don't want my relationship. My wife was smart enough to see this one coming. She's like, I don't want my relationship with my children to say, okay, monthly, on a monthly basis, you owe me 15 bucks. You owe me 15 bucks. So instead she said, now connect this, and you better not overdraft because they're going to charge you, not me. Like, they've done a great job of paying their bills. That's awesome. But we're not going to just give it to them and let them have it. You know, people talk so much about uh, millennials. And they talk about millennials and their lack of work ethic, millennials and their belief that their employers should be responsible to make them their job happy. Um, that they should have to work what they think is a meaningful job, um, that they should not have to pay their way, that mom and dad should still pay you know, their insurance or something like that, um, that um, they're due a large inheritance. I'm, I'm spending my kids' inheritance right now, okay? Because I earned it. I'm, I'm spending it. Listen, here's the, this is my plan. They can have the life insurance policy as long as my wife doesn't need it if she lives longer than I do. Okay, after that, they can have anything left. It's, it's on them. Knock yourselves out. But inheritance? No. I'm living my life. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm chasing Jesus. I want to see people come to the Lord. I want to enjoy life. So, so no. Um, millennials, people say, want a 40-hour work week, and that's all they should have to do. And fast food should be a sustainable job. And it's like, you know... I, I, you could sit and throw rocks at millennials all you want. And honestly, I think, I'm, depending on school years or things like that, age, I think I, I raised some millennials. But here's the deal. It's not the millennials' fault. The millennials didn't learn that by themselves. They didn't come out of their mama's womb going, cell phone, I need a cell phone. They watched their friends get cell phones, and then they said, give me a cell phone. And mom and dad said yes instead of No. And they said, yes, and yes, and yes. And, 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 you know, if that doesn't work, they lay down and they kick and scream and kick and scream. It's like the parent says, no. You know, they're in the Walmart. And Johnny says, I want that, I want that, I want that. And they say, no, we're not getting that. And then he lays on the floor and he kicks and screams. You've you been to Walmart and seen that action going on? There's been some of that, you know? 
And, and so what happens, mom's looking around because everybody's looking, or dad's looking around. It's like, I must be a terrible parent. Everybody's going to think this. Okay, fine, 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 I'll buy it for you. You know what you just taught that child? Kicking and screaming gets me whatever I want. You didn't teach that child that you were in charge. You didn't teach that child you were mom and dad. You taught that child kicking and screaming on the floor gets you whatever you want. A friend of mine lives up in Goshen, Indiana. Was going into, literally, true story, five years ago, going into a Walmart little three, four-year-old girl, blonde-haired girl, laying in the, in the doorway, you know, doors won't close, they won't close. Little girl's laying there, kicking and screaming, having a fit. And the dad's going, honey, you know what your problem is? Honey, honey, the line is stacking up, trying to get into the Walmart. It's not a big one, but still, the line, my friend is standing right here at the front, there's the child, can't step over, dad's leaning there trying to make a teaching moment. Okay, doors, they're doing that. Little girl laying there. Finally, my friend, he says, honest, Joe, I had had enough. And I walked up and said, you want to know what her problem is? It's you, Dad. Pick her up and move her. He's trying to have a teachable moment because he does not want to let her struggle with everything. And he wants to, listen, deal with it. Deal with it in the moment, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, and be consistent. And don't give them everything that they want. What if we set our children up intentionally to win instead? Because Solomon, as he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, says, this is what I've observed to be good. This is what I have observed to be good. This is where we train our children. That it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. God's given you a life. He's given you a job. And He's given you the ability to make the money and enjoy being alive on the planet. He goes on saying, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possession, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their work and their toil. This is a gift from God. We deprive our children of a gift from God when we give it to them rather than let them earn it and be proud of their ability to act like an adult. People like this seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. You ever wonder why we've got 15, 16-year-olds that can't find anything to do and are not happy with their life? They're depressed. They just want to sit around and play Xbox. But you go to a third-world country and there's little kids playing out in the dirt and there's a sewer running right down the middle of the street and they're kicking a soccer ball back and forth and they're laughing and having a good time because they don't know what an Xbox is and they don't care. They don't have electricity. See? They have found the secret of being content in their life. And when we pass that on to our children, we pass on a good thing. A good thing. I say, man, I want you set up for a win this year. I want you to win. I want your children to win. It comes from doing the hard work of being a good parent, of being a good aunt or uncle, of, of, of being a good grandparent and not being afraid to say no, not being afraid to live out your example in front of those kids so that when they see you singing on Sunday, they see you praying on Tuesday 
over your meal or having a quiet time with God or whatever that might be. College students, um, um, students in high school, man, you want to win this year. Get close to God and let the words of your mouth be what your friends see every single week. Surround yourself with people that will build you up and not tear you down. Surround yourself with those kinds of people. Take away not giving our children everything. If we want them to fail, give them everything. If we want them to win, teach them the significance of earning it. Having everything was the win. All of those people out in Hollywood would be the happiest people in the world. And some of them can't hold a marriage together for two months. They're not happy. They're struggling. So we know that's not true, right? So it's being happy in our relationship to God. It's being happy in our lot in life. It's being happy with where God is calling us. It's being happy, finding joy in the presence of Christian community. It's, it's in serving people and loving other people that we suddenly realize, wow, we've got a life worth living. We've got a life worth living. As we gather together, these people are up here because they want to pray for you. What can they pray for you about? You've got wayward children. You're struggling as a parent. You're a single parent for the first time ever. And you're like, here I am. Hey, we need to come and bolster you and encourage you. You're a new parent. You can't get any sleep. Man, we need to pray for you. You don't know Jesus yet. It's time to surrender your life to God. We need to pray with you. Because we love you. Because we care about you. That's what's going on here. These people are up here. We're going to go into this song. Come on up to your feet. If you would like some prayer this morning, you're going through something even that I haven't mentioned. These people are up here to pray for you, and we would love to pray on your behalf.